Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. For the first time, from Global News, this story, for the first time since COVID-19 began, Canada's rate of new cases of the novel coronavirus has eclipsed that of the United States. For the first time, Canada is recording more cases per million population on a rolling seven-day average than our southern neighbor. We were a little smug for some time, weren't we, about closing the border and not dealing with our American neighbors and friends so much because they were in a really serious bad place with COVID. They're not out of the woods yet, but they have distributed 175 million doses of the vaccines. And if you, as I said earlier, I watched uh, some of the Masters yesterday, and none of the players, none of the caddies, none of the officials uh, the fans weren't wearing masks. There weren't nearly as many fans as there normally would be at a Masters, but there were considerable numbers, but they were not wearing masks. So their sense of some herd immunity is obviously taking place. But if for the first time since COVID-19 began, Canada's rate of new cases of the novel coronavirus has eclipsed that of the United States. Dr. Ronald St. John was for 35 years serving in public health and infectious diseases control in Canada and in the United States, as well as with the World Health Organization Regional Office for the Americas. He was the first Director General of the Center for Emergency Preparedness and Response at the Public Health Agency of Canada, also the National Manager for Canada's Response to SARS. Dr. St. John joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Dr. St. John, thank you very much for the time. I think this is the third or fourth time you and I are speaking since the outbreak of COVID, did you have a sense, was there any way, any visceral sense that you had that we would be, that the track would be what it's turned out to be at the very beginning of the outbreak? Oh, thank you. Um, well, going back to the very beginning, um, let me say that I've always thought that, uh, that the most dangerous kind of a pathogen or germ that would cause a pandemic is something that was respiratory, spread by respiratory means, by coughing and so on. And it would be a virus uh, easily transmitted that way. Um, and we always thought that it might be one of the bird flus that would uh, do that. Uh, when uh, we first heard about the coronavirus in December 31st in the first weeks of January, it was well, sort of an interesting phenomenon, the uh, undiagnosed pneumonia in Wuhan. But when uh, cases suddenly popped up in Japan and Korea towards the end of January, that was my uh-oh moment. Uh, I saw a respiratory virus easily transmitted now popping up in other countries. That was a concern. How does this uh, COVID pandemic today compare to any other pandemic in our lifetimes? I'm talking about the generations alive today. How does this pandemic compare to others we've faced? Unprecedented um, is the word. Um, the 1918 so-called Spanish flu was a different kind of phenomenon at a different time. Um, but uh, in the past 100 years, nothing like this. Um, are, are you satisfied with, and you have a long history of service with public health in uh, both Canada and the United States and internationally, do you think public health agencies have 
been at their best over the last year plus? Um, no, no, no. I think it's been up and down. Um, the reason I say that is that um, uh, the public health has all, has been sort of counterbalanced by economic pressures. Um, the uh, the idea that if you if you close down, of course, the city or the state or the country or the province, you're you're going to obviously affect the economic welfare of that of the people. Um, in those places, um, and that trying to work out that balance has been a problem because we've gone up and down, open up, close down, open up, close down. In in January eighth or tenth in Ontario, there was the highest. Uh, this was the second curve, the second wave. There was the highest number of, ca- of new cases per day that we'd ever seen, and we. The, the, the public health units initiated a whole bunch of public health measures, uh, and they were quite good because in the next month, during January, early part of February, the number of new cases per day just crashed. I mean, they, they, they fell precipitously to about 1,000 per day. But that's when all of a sudden, well, maybe we should loosen up a little bit. Um, and, you know, I look today at the data, and we are exactly right back where we were on January so all of the sacrifice, all of the economic losses uh, were wasted because we, th- we just couldn't seem to continue uh, the public health measures uh, that would continue to drive this virus down. How much of a factor in driving the virus down and creating an environment where we're more secure, as people in the United States appear to be, if just, again, anecdotal uh, observation on television, watching the Masters and some other sporting events. Uh, uh, where, I mean, where are we? Where where are we headed with these? Because the variants arrived, yes. and and so they're they're the spitball that we didn't expect to come out of the pitcher's hand. Uh, terrible sports metaphor, but we <laughs> we we weren't prepared for them. But we sh- we should have been prepared for variants, shouldn't we? But wasn't that always going to be the case? Well, yes, uh, viruses mutate all the time, <clears throat> and it was inevitable that there would be some mutations. Um, they, some of the mutations, are, 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 from the virus's point of view, are, are useless. They don't confer any new capacities to the virus. They're just mistakes in, in, in when they replicate. But every once in a while, by chance, you'll get a mutation that does confer some advantage to the virus. Uh, in this case... Mutations were in the are in the uh, so-called spike protein, the spikes that allow the the virus to attach and penetrate the cell, and it made it easier to transmit. Um, and uh, there is a, a, a hint. I mean, there is some in, in information evidence that it's also a little bit more lethal um, in in people with high risk factors. So, uh, yeah, it happens all the time. Uh, there's a concern that it'll continue to happen because uh, there are so many uh, infections around the world. Every single infection gives the virus an opportunity to mutate. Mm-hmm. Vaccines, I hear repeatedly, are the answer. And, and I believe that. And I was vaccinated a week ago and feel very fortunate to have been vaccinated. I don't want to wait 16 weeks for the next one, but um, that's discussion. Well, I'll ask you about that in a moment. But uh, vaccines are the answer. But are we able... 
Is that a statement that we can make definitively, that vaccines are the answer? And are we able to stay ahead of um, these mutations of, of the coronavirus when we don't know what it's going to do or how it's going to mutate? Well, let me just introduce a word of caution about the vaccines, because we, we really don't know yet uh, how this will pan out. Um, in the, There are a couple of factors that we still need to study and get more information. Number one is how long does the immunity last? Um, we haven't watched it long enough to know whether the immunity induced by the virus or induced by the vaccine will last uh, um, six months, a year, two years, three years. Uh, we don't know. So it is possible that uh, at some point in time, uh, your immunity will wane, it will, will go down, and you might be susceptible again to the virus. Um, another factor that we don't know is, is uh, how effective will we, these vaccines be at, uh, eliminate, at avoiding infection with the virus. We know that the vaccines stop serious illness and they prevent death. That's, that's clearly been established. But do they prevent transmission? Well, it looks like they might. There's some early evidence that indicates they might, but not 100%. That means that some people could be vaccinated, fully vaccinated, and they could still become infected and perhaps transmit the virus to other people. Uh, there, there's some things we still don't know. Um, and yes, do we need vaccines? Yes, we need the vaccines. But we also need the public health measures, especially since there's still a large number of people that aren't vaccinated. What do you want to see done as far as public health measures are concerned? Because as you well know, people are tired of being locked down. People are still, I think, largely cooperative, but they're also fatigued by, by all of this. What, what's, the, what's the most sensible approach? What would you recommend, Dr. St. John, if you were still the Director General of the Center for Emergency Preparedness and Response at PHAC, what would you be recommending? Well, this, we know that this virus is transmitted by close personal contact, uh, a person who coughs and sneezes, uh, and, uh, and that means that uh, if you don't have contact with a lot of other people, you've reduced your risk of acquiring this disease. And the fewer contacts you have, the lower your risk. And in fact, if you lock the door and stay in your house totally alone, you have no risk. That's not practical for everybody. But the idea is to reduce the number of contacts as much as possible. Yes, that's difficult. Um, we are social animals. We'd like to be together and, and talk. But, uh, and Zooming is not a good, a good uh, replacement for actual personal conversations. But the virus is still there, and this is a serious virus. And uh, I think, I think if, if, we, you know, if we could emulate in Canada what some other countries have done, uh, South Korea, New Zealand, Australia. Australia, uh, last time I looked on April 5th, with a population of 25 million people, had only 13 new cases in one day. We have 5,000. Um, so what are they doing? Um, it's the same virus. Uh, so we need to look at that very carefully and say, you know, the, the Australians are very strict mm -hmm. with their public health. Is their, is their vaccine distribution better than ours? I don't know. No. No, it's not. They, uh, they have some, some difficulties right now with supply. 
um, a vaccine. They do not produce vaccine nationally. Okay. They have to buy it and import it. And they've had some uh, some difficulty. Uh, Dr. St. John, if vaccines are not the an- not not the complete answer, not the panacea, uh, and we're not sure yet what they'll ultimately accomplish uh, in their present form, and they're evolving as the as the as the uh, as the uh, virus is evolving. Uh, if they're not the answer, and we go to lockdowns or keeping people away from one another, is this just an endemic situation that's just going to be repeating itself and repeating itself because the virus doesn't appear to be leaving? If the vaccines aren't going to put a full stop to it, are we just going to have to become an internalized society? Well, a lot of um, I've read a lot of articles um, recently by many many different authorities, and they. The consensus is that this virus is not going to go away 100 percent. Mm-hmm. That it'll become what we call endemic. That means it'll it, it might become seasonal, like flu. Um, uh, we're not sure, but that uh, most people will get vaccinated. We think that most people will be protected, um, but there will be some pe- part, some people in our population that won't be, and we will have little outbreaks um, here and there. Uh, of this uh, of this virus, so it's just going to be it's going to be around. It won't, it won't yeah. disappear. What happened in two, in 1919 with uh, H1N1 when that pandemic ended? Well, the influenza continued to happen every year, right? But it, it was not a pandemic. Okay. Um, so it mutated well, itself into a less viral form. Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me ask you about the the delay that's been approved by NASI. Uh, the 16-week delay between mm-hmm. vaccines. I received an interesting email from a listener earlier today suggesting that, look, uh, by the time that I get my second vaccination, 16 weeks after the first one, the COVID uh, 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 virus will have changed its form, changed its reality sufficiently so, more than likely, that my that it's going to, the second one won't even be effective because the body won't remember the first one. I found that... I'm not expressing this as eloquently as the listener did, but I think you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, uh, no, I think that's that's too short a time period for uh, any new variant or any new um, mutation to actually become that big a problem. Mm-hmm. We know that, that, for example, the South African strain of this virus uh, does, uh, I, I'm sorry, that the AstraZeneca vaccine does not work as as well against the South African strain as it, as it does against other strains. But we also know that the Merck, uh, I'm mean, sorry, the Pfizer and the uh, Moderna vaccine, uh, they work quite well against the British uh, variant, which is what we have in Ontario right now. Um, but it, it varies from place to place and, and, and variant to variant. So, but, right. but no, I think, I think it's not too long an interval uh, to, uh, for something else to pop up and and ruin everything for us. I don't think that'll happen. What are your thoughts of mixing and matching vaccines? Well, that should be studied. I mean, um, we we may need to um, to look hard at that, depending on supplies, and depending on what uh, what's available. Uh, yeah, I think uh, it's a booster dose. You know, the second shot is a booster uh, to stimulate the immune system even more. And do you need the same vaccine to do that? Well. There are some very technical issues uh, because not each vaccine does not produce the exact same antibodies. They're slightly different. So, do you need uh, do you need to get a booster for the same va- antibodies, or 
going to be slightly a mix of antibodies. I think it's technically a bit complex. So it needs to be studied carefully. We have about 15 seconds left. In the United States, at least, again, anecdotally, it looks as though they're reaching some level of herd immunity or people are more more confident. Uh, are you getting any encouragement out of what you're seeing from the U.S.? Well, not if you look at Michigan. <laughs> well, I guess, yeah. And some other states yeah. where the, uh, the virus continues to spread rapidly. Um, now, it remains to be seen. This remains to be seen whether their, their curve actually goes down. Uh, in the near future. All right, so we we are where we are. It's a terrible cliche, but if you want to hear more, subscribe to the Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.